All right. So, should I assume that there are any questions? So, at this point now, um, Tomoa is going, to, is going to, okay, Bola has a mic, Tomoa, okay, Tomoa will get the mic. So, if there are any questions for clarification or anything, and I'll say this, if, if it's not exactly from here and you want to tangent a little bit, it's fine also. But any questions? Yobu, were you raising up your hand? If you don't ask me questions, I'm going to ask you guys questions. Treated the Romans verse on you are no longer under law but under grace. Um, uh, I didn't treat it today. I treated it last time, okay. but I can treat it if we want. If I can say something about that. All right. So that's one question. I said because there are some people that weren't here. So there's a part in uh, Romans six, I think fourteen, that says you are not under the law but you are under grace. So what does that mean? Okay. Any other question? So you, you touched on it um, briefly, but I just wanted to expatiate on why you talk about God um, ordering the Israelites to kill certain, certain peoples. Um, so just expatiating on that in relation to um, both in terms of the law and presently when you think of things like human rights, genocide, and, and all of that. Uh, you mentioned the, the, use the analogy of a train track of um, grace, no, judgment and, and redemption. And redemption. Mm. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it, does that train track always lead to God? Is that what it's meant to, to okay. do? What, what does it lead? Okay. Okay, let me start with that one. So maybe I didn't, exp I didn't say it clearly. The, the, the railroad track, this one, or let me say, God's love and God's wrath. We see them. The two of it, it's almost like we see a God of love, we see a God of wrath, and it's not fully resolved in the Old Testament. We see pictures of how it could be resolved, but it's not fully resolved. So like one example I say that you could see it, um, the tension is like in the, on the day of, of, of atonement in Leviticus 19, you can see God's love for his people then manifested in his judgment. So in Romans chapter 3, from 21 to 26, there's a part where it then talks about how God justifies people and yet he remains just. How is he going to justify people, that is, make them righteous, people who are clearly not just? And so he then resolves it in the redemption in Christ, in that love and wrath meet together in the cross. That is, on the cross, God pours his wrath, he pleased the Father to crush him, and yet in doing that, he is displaying his love, for God loved the world that he gave his son. I hope does, does that help. So everything culminates in the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's why we say it is the supreme revelation of God. That is, Jesus himself reveals God, Jesus the incarnation. This is God in human flesh. But the work of Jesus Christ, as it then goes to the cross, is then also 
the, uh, you see all of that, the apex of God's revelation there. On the issue of um, being under law, uh, under grace, and not under law, so what Paul does, and he, he treats it more in Romans 7, so we spent a lot of time on Romans 7 um, uh, last time, and what we're saying basically was this, to be, what, what these people were trying, what he was trying to say was this, being, you can't be under the law covenant and under the grace covenant in Christ. You can't, you can't be under them. If you are under the law covenant, especially for people who he was saying, they were trying to use the law, we were talking about the works of the law. They were trying to use the works of the law not as a way to, let's say if you're a Jew, should you keep what is in the law, that is the commandments of the law? You'd better, because keeping the works of the law was not a way you got saved or a way you maintained your salvation. No. It was a way that you expressed that you were saved. You are a child of God that is under the nation of Israel. It was a way you expressed it. To not express it, to, to be flagrantly disobedient, was to show that you were not really part of the people of God. That's why Paul could say in, the, in chapter 2 of Romans that not all who are Jews are actually Jews. Not all who are circumcised are actually circumcised because all that circumcision and all that Jewish stuff, all those things that mark them out as differently, was something, a physical manifestation of what should have been on the inside. So you had to keep the works of the law to express this grace that you have gotten in this law covenant. If you didn't, then that you are saying something else. But however, there's another way you could use the works of the law. You actually could do them. You could be zealous to do them. But if you are zealous to do them as a means of earning God's grace, what then happens is another law works. That law of God, the keeping of the works of the law, there's another law of sin that is working that has not been totally eradicated. So now you want to use the law as a means to earn your salvation or your standing with God. But sin is here. When sin mixes with the law, positive and negative, it ends up taking the law, which was meant to be a good thing for you, the law now looks back at you and becomes a bad thing and condemns you. So a misuse of the law is bad. But then Paul is saying, look, there is something that has been revealed apart from the law. The law has done its job. It has pointed to that revelation that was now meant to help you, save you, give you the law of the Spirit. So now it's no longer under the, on, 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 the, on the stones of men's heart. It's now giving you the Spirit that is meant to free you from what the law could not do. And so for people to be under the grace of Christ and yet want to go back to being under the law, that's a very, very grave mistake. And so that's what he means by you are not under the law, but uh, under grace. Some people try to say, they try to solve the tension and say, well, no, we're under grace on Christ, but we should still keep the law. I don't think that's a good way to resolve it. What they are trying to say is don't be somebody that doesn't keep commandments. That's what they mean by we should still keep the law. And you don't have to go to the law to keep commandments because in the New Testament, there are laws. Under the covenant of, of, of Christ, there are lots, lots of don't do this, don't do that. So the covenant of Christ should not be something that makes you, the grace should not make you not keep laws. If, if anything, now you have the spirit. So that's why it talks about keeping in step with the spirit, walking in the spirit. If you, keep the, if, you, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the loss of the flesh. All of those things. In other words, there are commandments there, but you have greater power 
to actually keep the commandment. So New Testament people are meant to be more law-abiding people. So it's always a shame when we look at David, and David is better than us in his keeping. Okay, maybe not David. <laughs> because David uh, is, not, is not the best person to use, but you know what I mean. Wow. All right, and then Emmanuel about um, genocide, human rights, God, um, but God telling people to, to wipe out people. Now, because I, th- I believe that everybody here is a Christian, I can't, um, the way I answer this question is different if there was not a Christian here. But you know, there is, where does human rights come from? Where does human rights come from? You know, human rights, for it to be a transcendental thing that every human being can have, cannot be given by human beings. You know that. The moment we say that human rights is given by human beings, we have no human rights. Do you understand that? For you to have a transcendental thing, it cannot be given by those who are already sharing it. We receive something transcendental from a transcendental being. For human rights to exist and to remain and to be something that we can actually hold on to, it cannot be something that human beings can give. We discover it. Just as human beings don't create love, human beings don't create beauty, human beings don't create good. All of these are transcendentals. We discover beauty. I discover or I fall in love, but I don't create it. And human rights, which is something that, is, if anybody should believe in it, is Christians. Human rights, therefore, for it to be a thing that actually exists, a transcendental thing available for all human beings, cannot be given by human beings. And the, fun, the, the best ground on which human beings, uh, on which we can put human rights, is in the fact that human beings are created in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 9. Psalm 8, what is, man that, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you... You know, this craziness, it's all because we are created in the image of God. Therefore, it is God that gives human rights, right? So if God commands that human beings should be wiped out, guess what is not being violated? Human rights. Because God is the giver of it. In other words, this is why you cannot charge... Anytime somebody comes and says... Well, I saw this thing that God said to do in the Bible that is actually making me feel uncomfortable. I can't believe in the Christian God because he says that. Let's use the Ravi Zacharias joke on him, right? So, in other words, if you are saying this thing is wrong, so he says he can't believe in God. If you say this thing is wrong, it's because you have an objective way of choosing between right and wrong, isn't it? And sometimes they struggle a little bit. I said, no, if, for you to say it is wrong in... Nigeria, and it's wrong in Togo, and it's wrong in Dominican Republic, and it's wrong in the United States, and it's wrong in Fiji. Whatever your culture, for you to do that, there must be an objective standard. Okay, you now say yes, yes, all right. If there's an objective standard, then an objective law, a moral law, you have to have a moral law giver. Like, a moral law giver. Why do I need a moral law giver if I have a moral law? Ah, it's very simple. Because whenever you talk about wrong being done to somebody, or right being done to someone, it's always somebody that's saying it about it being done to someone. We don't get up and say, or in fact, a stone does not look at another stone and say, ah, look at the way that stone was crushed to build this fine house. That's so wrong. 
right? It is human beings that talk about good or bad, and it is in relation to other human beings. Do you understand that? In other words, personhood is intrinsic to the issue of right and wrong. You cannot have this objective law dividing between right and wrong if there is no personhood behind it. So for you to have an objective moral law, you have to have an objective moral law giver. And it's that moral law giver that you are now saying you don't want to actually agree. If you take God out of it, then the question destroys itself. If you say there is no God, then there is no right and there is no wrong. And so why are you asking me, why are you telling me whether this thing is right or wrong? And so in that regard, when we say that God said to the Israelites, go and wipe out these people. Do you know the only wrong that can be committed there if those people were not wiped out? That is when it is wrong. Because wrong is always measured by what God said. Right and wrong is always measured by what, ultimately by what God said. Now, today, because of the progression of revelation, because the people of God are no longer a, a nation that needs an army and all of that, because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they are made mighty through God, it is for pulling down strongholds, it's for bringing down all these forces in darkness or whatever it is, advancing of the gospel. If a human being then goes in the name of God, and goes and kills another human being in the name of Christ, guess what he's done? He has sinned against God. But it's progression of revelation that gets us to that point. At one point, it was allowed. It wasn't just allowed. If God said, go and wipe them out, it was right. That's how Saul lost his kingdom. Saul sinned against God by sparing people. And then finally, we said that, look, read Revelation 19. Jesus Christ comes with a tattoo. For all of those that, he has a tattoo on his, on his thigh. He's coming to judge. He contrasts the Lord's Supper, right, in, in the early part of Revelation 19. He contrasts the Lord's Supper and the Supper of Kings. I mean, it is, it is gory. On the one hand, you say, oh, the, the banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then you now find the supper of Jesus Christ slaughtering. He said, come and eat the flesh and the blood of kings. So it's still coming again. Look, we can't run around it. God judges. But we have to be careful as to who and how he judges. All these people that pray for um, uh, people to die, all of those things, all of those people are wrong. Whether you are, you are trying to get people to die spiritually that is, you are using spiritual forces to get them to die physically, or you are using physical forces to get them to die, it is wrong. It is absolutely wrong. Because at this point, God says, judgment is of the Lord. It is mine to repay. You cannot do it well. And, you know, you understand. So all the judgment of God that we see in the Old Testament is now fully accomplished in the judgment of Jesus on the cross. There are two ways God judges eternally. He's either going to judge you in hell or he's going to judge you on the cross of Christ. And that is left to God, not to us. Right. Sorry, what's the name again? Maureen Keji. Yeah, Maureen Ke, not Maureen Keji. Sorry, it's just um, a follow-up on what you said about law and grace. Yep. And about how for, the, for a Jewish person... 
it, it depends on what you're going what you want to use the law for if it's an expression of your jewish identity or your identity as part of a nation of, of someone who's part of a nation that god has set apart to reveal this law to then it's fine as opposed to using it as a means to earn you know righteousness or salvation or redemption right. so following up on that is can I, okay, so I'm not Jewish. No, you're not. In any way. I mean, they're black Jews, but I'm not, I'm not Jewish. Yeah, yeah. So That's why Igbo Jews, they think they're descended from. Yeah. So, but I definitely know I'm not Jewish. But, um, so can I, what, what would you say about someone like me now looking at the law and deciding that even though I'm not physically Jewish, I want to take that law and express a Jewishness that I admire by obeying that law. Understanding that I'm saved, but I still want to partake in that expression. Mm. Is, does it make any sense to, to do that? So like I decide, okay, my children are 13, my son have bar mitzvahs and go through the whole and keep Jewish feasts in my home. Is there is there any point just to identify? Mm. You know, because I know like the Bible talks about you know a new, you know Israel, the spiritual Israel, like us being. But if I want to join the physical Israel, is there any point to to that? There is no point. <laughs> okay. No. The reason I ask is because but people. I know. I was good. I was good okay. to expansionate on that, but All go right. ahead, and then damn you, you, you add to it. Go ahead. Right. Go ahead and expand yeah, on. The reason on I ask is because um, people keep saying, "Oh, I, I want to partake of that blessing in, in the um, Old Testament, that particular blessing, mm. not the whole. I mean, I'm the sorry, blessing can, part. Can you, not the, can you just pause a little bit? Sorry. Uh, Ibuko? Ibuko? Pizami keeps on meat. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, and chicken, please. Yeah, I, we will. We will. No, we can't. I'm really sorry. It's just, I'm really sorry. They are very selfish people. Yeah. So, um, I keep hearing yeah. people say that, okay, this particular blessing, you know, Deuteronomy 28, you know, yeah. bits and bobs from the law, yeah. you know, to. Um, to um, follow, yeah. to identify, but I, I just want to get, wonder, get some of the blessings as, as of Christians, Abraham. Yes, yes. particular, yes. even as Christians, as Christians, uh, yes, but non-Jewish. Yes, yes, I understand. That the Jews are known to be very prosperous. Like it's popular. You would say, okay, the Jews and some Jewish families happen to be. We reach as people for a long time. So is there something else? You know, I can follow your customs and the traditions of Christians because I want to be prosperous. All my family is one of the richest <laughs> to come. So is there, is there something as that that could be? Because there's also been, um, there's, been there's, an, there's a book that was a couple of years ago. It's not even made to a series. It's called Living, Living Biblically. So some guy who took all the, um, who went through, he actually lived the life of obeying all the commands or laws in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all through, and they're making it into a series and trying to make all sense of that. So how, do, how does a Christian, you know, deal with that? So does it make sense? Mm. Okay, let me first say this, right? 
So for Christians that want to gain the blessings of the Jews, right, blessings of Abraham, if you like, physical blessings of the Jews, so they then go into Jewish customs, do all those Jewish things. Um, let me tell you why it's doubly foolish. First of all, the first one is that they are non-Jews, so it's not going to happen. The second one is that today, ethnic Jews don't even have access to those blessings. It's not even available for Jews. So trying to get it as a Gentile to Jews, it doesn't make sense. Why do I say it's not available to Jews? Because the old covenant is obsolete. It's dead. It doesn't exist again. It's not in force. The Old Testament, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant cannot coexist. So uh, some of the staff asked me um, recently, and this one will sound a bit controversial, but I kind of put a, 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 a quiz to them and I said, Islam and Judaism, answer these two questions. Wrong God, uh, wrong form of worship, wrong God, yea or nay. So when you go to Islam, all of them but one, all of them said, wrong God, wrong worship system. Right? Somebody said, right God. The person's name shall be left unnamed. <laughs> but the person has been repenting in Sakot and Ashi since then. Then you got to the Jews, and they said, wrong worship system, right God. I was talking about today. And I said, no. Wrong God, wrong worship system. Today. Now, not in the same way. The wrong God is not necessarily in the same way that it is for Islam, because Islam's revelation was never good, was never true in the first place. So it's not the same thing. The Jew, the problem is this. The form of worship of God was very tied to the right access to God. So when God, for instance, and the final, the final death nail, Jesus mentioned, talks about this, is going to happen, he says it in Luke chapter 21, right? Finally fulfilled in AD 70, 30 something years after. When the, why do you think there's no Jewish temple? There's not been any Jewish temple for almost 2,000 years now. Because God's glory had departed from the, a long time ago, from there. So if that temple no longer exists, and again, why I say it's not even available? If you want to keep the old covenant and you have no temple, you have no priesthood, you cannot get the old covenant. Who is there in the high priest seat that will say, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord cause his face to shine upon you? Who is there to say it? There's no one. The whole system is down. And so access to it by trying to say, you know, uh, we're doing Yom Kippur, just doing all of those. Most of the Jews, and to damn this question, most of those very prosperous Jews were not Orthodox Jews. Most of the, most of the people, the Jewish people that we talk about, the uh, Rothschilds and all of those people, they didn't actually believe. They were secular Jews. They were Jews in the same way that I'm a Yoruba person that does not worship Shongo. You understand? 
I, I, occasionally would dress like a Yoruba person. I double in my Yoruba occasionally here and there when I'm among people that can't speak like, that worse than me. I like to flex, you know? Eat Yoruba food, all of those things. So it's like saying, by eating Yoruba food, by speaking the Yoruba language, by, I don't know, by doing one or two other Yoruba things, I then somehow am truly worshipping. No. In the same way, by keeping those feasts and all of that, they are not. Now, you do have the Orthodox Jews and the ultra-Orthodox Jews, and they are just misguided. Even at best, as much as they are trying to follow as much as possible, they, because of their, the Talmud is different from the scriptures. Talmud is this large, is like a huge commentary of so many different rabbis' views, older rabbis' views on what the law is saying. It's just that so much of it is contradictory. So you're not even sure which one you're actually keeping, whether you're keeping it right. So they're not even doing it well. Then there is no temple. So what are they then inheriting? And if somebody tells you, what about 1948? And I say, yes, what about 1948? All right, the Jews came back together. Yes. Was that a fulfillment of scripture, book of Ezekiel? No, it wasn't. Was that an extraordinary historical event, like just in normal history? Yes. So the Jews that they exist today, I actually think part of that, there is the aspect of Romans 11. That is, there will be a turning of the Jews, a lot of turning of Jews as we approach the return of Christ. That's the best we can see. But people that are so fascinated, some people also, you know, let's we watch TBN and Daystar and all of those things, trying to always raise money, go and invest in uh, Israel if you do that. Now, I'm not saying don't invest in Israel, because Israel, I think, I would think is a very good place to invest. The only democracy in the Middle East, and they've done a pretty good job at it. You invest for that reason. Don't invest because you think that you are tapping into one covenant. Again, this is a misunderstanding of law and grace because people don't see the law as a covenant. If you see the law as a covenant and you see that because of progression of revelation, that covenant as a means of revealing God and therefore establishing a relationship. Remember what we said, revelation, knowledge, relationship, and then blessing. But the blessing of Abraham, as Paul tells us, the true blessing of Abraham comes how? Through Christ. That uh, uh, Galatians chapter 3, right? Curse is every, um, uh, the law is not of, uh, uh, of uh, curse is every man that hangs on a tree, uh, that the blessing of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles, what? Through faith. Through faith in Christ. So all of those blessings are not coming through keeping the Jewish customs and all of those things. The blessing of Abraham comes, God has poured out his spirit. It is not material. It has been fulfilled in Christ. So if they want to participate, if you want to go to, for instance, Jerusalem to go and see some of these historic sites, I think it's a fantastic thing. But not the one that people think that they've gone into the, Red, uh, the Jordan River and they start having some kind of spiritual experiences. Or they, they walked, you know, some people walked on the road that Jesus walked on. And then they started hearing things. If you see any guy that tells you that he got a revelation, on run away. Run as far as the east is from the west. God is not revealing anything like that there. God has revealed himself, specially in the scriptures, supremely in the person of Christ. When the writer of Hebrews says that God no longer has, um, 
he revealed himself in the prophets, but now he revealed himself in Christ. He's saying that Christ, in terms of forming doctrine, in terms of any kind of special revelation, Christ is the final revelation. After the book of Revelation, nothing else until Jesus Christ returns. So I hope that, that does that help? Does that help, Renike? Right, okay. Aesthetic, yeah, if the aesthetic value, you know, put that thing at, at, at even the aesthetic value. I got the, well, Emmanuel has a letter. We got a letter, really somebody asking us, really pushing us to support Israel. They did all these correct flyers and people are just, it's, it's a, I don't want to use the word I want to use. Um, it's halogram. But it is, it is a bit of a nonsense, really. It is, I'm serious, it is. It's, I, and I understand how people are trying to, we want to, some people feel like they want to correct for stuff like people like Martin Luther did, that the, you know, and the anti-Semitism of Martin Luther and all of those kinds of things. But that's not the way we do it. The best way we do it is by taking the gospel to the Jews. To say that your Messiah, Israel's Messiah, has already come. And you can find him in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, guys.